Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of the busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional, and those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. With so much focus over the last year being on the pandemic, some of the softer HR topics have fallen by the wayside, and in this episode, we're going to talk about one of those, that is, multiple generations in the workforce. While this issue certainly has evolved in the context of the pandemic, some things never change. I'm pleased to have back with me on the show today, Ira Wolf. Ira is the president of Success Performance Solutions, which excels in pre-employment testing software for sales, leadership, service, and production across a number of industries. In addition to being a blogger and prolific business writer, Ira is an accomplished speaker, having visited the stage of TEDx and Disrupt HR. He has also published books such as The Perfect Labor Storm and Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, When the Shift Hits Your Plan. Ira, thanks for taking the time to join us today. It really is a pleasure to have you back on the show. It's an absolute absolute pleasure to be back here, Jim. Thanks very much for having me. You're, you're most welcome. Let's get into some basics here. I can't help but ask this question every time I talk about this, which is how useful is delineating employees by generation for the purposes of HR and employment employer strategy? If we look at it as as a diversity inclusion uh, lens through the, through the diversity inclusion equity lens, then it's incredibly important because there are, there are certainly different needs uh, chronologically, you know, someone who's 18 to 25 years old versus somebody who's 55 to 65 years old or, or older. Right. So there is, there's no question that from a, a DEI perspective, it's incredibly important. From how you manage people, it's a little less clear because different people have different needs. Um, but again, you can be 50 years old and looking for a new career, or you can be 20 years old and looking for a new career. Right. And in those perspectives, people should be, should, shouldn't be treated differently because of their chronological age. Uh, they should be treated uh, with respect and dignity. And, and uh, you know, go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, multiple generations. How many generations do we even have currently working uh, in the workforce? I think we maybe even have included um, Generation Alpha at this point, right? Yeah, well, I heard a new one yesterday. It's called Generation Voomer <laughs> <laughs> with a V, <laughs> So, which is uh, for... Uh, you know, we have the digital natives, and now you have the virtual natives, the 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 generation that's going to grow up only knowing uh, AR and VR. You know, from that perspective. Um, so, but how many? Um, depending on who you read, where your cutoffs are. There's no magic formula for this. You didn't. You know, in 1980, um, you know, all of a sudden, every person didn't become a millennial and you know, you, 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 you put behind being a Gen X. Uh, there was no magic date uh, on January 1st that that all changed. Uh, so if we go through the workforce, the, the primary generations are certainly the Gen, the Gen Z, uh, which are primarily born, let's say 1996 to early 20, let's say 2010, 2012. Right. Uh, 
somewhere around there. Uh, and then you had the millennials, which were 1980 to 1996. And then you had Gen X, which was uh, 1965 to 1980. Uh, and then you had the baby boomers, uh, which was 19, uh, 46 to uh, 1964. So those are the, those are the primary ones. And then obviously there, the, 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 there's a shift in the ratios. Um, but you have people, you know, 80 years old still working, you know, which are, you know, they're called the traditionalists, the veterans. Um, and, and now we have, um, you know, a, a, they may or may not be in the workplace yet, but this Gen Z, depending on where you want to put the cutoff, right. uh, if they're not there now, they will be very shortly because uh, we're at that, we're almost at that edge where, they will be 16, 18 years old and, you know, coming into the workforce. So they're, they're certainly coming up and, and some of them may already be working as high school, you know, high school students. Uh, so we have five, six <laughs> different generations, uh, but that's on a chronological aspect. You know, if we look at where people are digitally, uh, you know, we talked about virtual generation, the digital generation, um, right. You know, you have people that are somewhat Luddites, you know, which would be the, the extreme, you know, people that are, they just ignore, avoid any type of technology. You have, I, I think that's a better way. I mean, if we're going to look across generations uh, and you were looking at, um, you know, anything from pay and, and job skills and perks and benefits and how you manage people. It, it's almost where they fit on their mindset. And I think that's the important hmm. message is people have different mindsets. So you can have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an older baby boomer, but as my tagline says, I'm a millennial trapped in a baby boomer <laughs> body. Uh, and yet that, you know, maybe I should be a Gen Z trapped in a baby boomer body, uh, but that's a mindset and that's all it is. And so I've got peers that act um, older than my mother's 97, they, they, their mindset is not so much different than my mother's and they're 25, 30 years younger than her. Uh, I know of, I have, you know, acquaintances and, and some friends and um, some family that's 30 and 40 years old um, that act, you know, they act old. And I know old people, you know, I just talked to somebody the other day and he's in his mid seventies and really, really active with virtual reality, mm. startups, uh, <laughs> technology, um, you know, so I, I think we, we need to get away, but going back to even your first question, I think we need to get away from looking at generations chronologically mm and look at people with mindsets and treat people as individuals, as human beings. Um, because, you know, as I said, as an older baby boomer, it's not that I have no plans to retire. Um, I, I get up every day and go, I just, I, I wish I had more time to do the things I want to do. And hmm. other people are just ready to pack it in. It's like, Oh, I, I just want to stop work. And I don't know what they want to do, but I know I have a lot of friends that, stopped working and aren't they're not they fill their time with doctor's appointments now <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's a very interesting change in phenomena you know i mean that was the standard not that long ago you worked here 20 years or whatever it was 25 years and you're done 
you know, and they've done so many studies since then talking about how potentially detrimental that can be for you if you don't have something else going on. You know, you went from, you, you know, so people identify so strongly with their work. You went from having an identity that was very tied to your accomplishments at your job, and then that vanishes. <laughs> yeah, there's two different there's two different parts I want to address there, and, and certainly one is um, that it was also in, in in a time span is that you started especially as a baby boomer and kind of went through and you had a thirty or forty year career and that was basically your whole work life history, and you had that same job and and then more recently there are multiple jobs and multiple careers. I'm certainly an example of that multiple career. But even going back to why we should get away with this, I my I wrote a book in 2008. It was called Geek Skeezers and Googleization, <laughs> which happens to be the name of my podcast now. So I just uh, um, <laughs> just evolved that. Uh, and I wrote about the four generations, but it, it but I didn't look at it as how do we manage them. It was like how is technology going to impact them? Yeah. Uh, and. I, I realized that I was going to rewrite that. That, that was the, the evolution of my next book, uh, Recruiting in the, in the Age of Googleization. But um, I realized I didn't do a very good job at talking about how technology was going to impact them. But what I found out was that when the book came out, I was hired. I was approached a lot for speaking engagements, hired a lot. Can you come in and talk to our managers? Mm-hmm. And it became very cookie cutter. It became... Um, I, I thought it was a disservice because it was like, well, how do we how do we treat these millennials? What what is it with these millennials? What is it with their attitude? And they would use references that millennials didn't even know existed. It was like you didn't you grew up in a in a completely different time, and they have no reference to what your history was, what your context was, and it became is how do we how do we either make them different or how do we, how do we treat them differently? Uh, How do we get them to understand what our perspective is? Mm. And, you know, I had a whole program. I actually had a workbook and I, I just stopped doing it. I was doing a disservice going in and talking about the four generations how they each need to be treated differently. You know, what was their, what was the life event? that changed their viewpoint. You know, mine was certainly, you know, JF, the assassination of JFK, you know, a Gen X or a millennial might've been uh, the, uh, the space shuttle. Um, you know, there was, all, there was events that impacted their life, but it, it didn't necessarily make them who they were. Yeah. That wasn't the, their, that was something they remembered and it certainly might've been a catalyst to go one way or the other, but it, it wasn't the only dimension and that's what people wanted. They wanted a cookie cutter. They wanted to be able to have, you know, a checklist of if we do these three things, then all the millennials will follow us down the road. Uh, and, or, you know, how do we relate to a baby boomer or Gen X? So I, I literally wrote a book on it and then said, you know, I was, it, it was coming out as much of a disservice uh, because people weren't taking it in the right vein. And, and again, realizing that, and that's where the millennial and the baby boomer, in a millennial trapped in a baby boomer body came from, it was more mindset. It's yeah. Who is the person? What are their personal needs? Uh, going back to something we talk about every day now, 
is employee experience. Employee experience is going to be different for every employee. It's not a cookie cutter. You yeah. can provide a an environment that is built for um, engagement and productivity and community, but not every single person is going to relate to it in exactly the same way. And it has nothing to do with age. It has to do with the human being. It's so hard to divorce the idea of age being this sort of primeval source of, of identity. I mean, I struggle with it all the time. I, I'll be watching a movie from my childhood. I'll have remembered the characters being so old to me when I had watched it. And I'm looking back on them and they're kids now. And there's just this, I don't think that I have the, and I don't think people really have the, the kind of configuration in their minds to process that, you know, it's, it's chaos to think of, you know, like, let's say I have a supervisor that's younger than me, which has happened, you know, it, my whole life I'm thinking is a progression. As I get older, I get more advanced and more capable and therefore I go higher up. And it's just, obviously that's not how it is. Right. Uh, it's just, I think I can really understand that hang up that people have and the reason why they want to want to be a, get a cookie cutter and, and put in neat, neat piles because it opens up some pretty complex philosophical windows in yourself when you start thinking about what does age mean? You know, I just think that a lot of people don't want to face that. And uh, and another thing you mentioned was that I really want to want to talk on was the idea that there's no reference that the people that were older than the millennials didn't have a reference to understand them. When I first started this job, uh, we got so many articles about what generation, uh, what the millennials wanted. I mean, it was endless. And I'm a millennial. So I'm sitting here saying, oh, really? I don't want to get paid that much? I'd rather have perks? You know, that doesn't sound <laughs> like me. Uh, right. Yeah, you wanted a, foo a foosball table. <laughs> yeah, foosball oh, yeah. Foosball table and, and, and cafeteria lunch. <laughs> don't get me started. It's like, it's always foosball or ping pong, right? That's like the... And right. I, I'll play I'll play some foosball, but I'm not going to like go work at a place because of that. And I, I thought I was actually pretty angry about the whole thing um, until I started trying to understand Generation Z, the people behind me and realizing I actually have no idea what they're going through, what they're experiencing. I can only guess, you know, when they talk about us being digital natives. They're the digital natives. They're taking things. They're understanding things through a completely different lens. And I realized, oh, okay, so that's what happened to me and my generation is now I'm in a position. And I, and honestly, I don't even know where to get started other than to maybe go hang out with some kids, which, you know, isn't really a realistic possibility. Well, and it, well, one is I think it, it, it is because it's, it's, it's having awareness. It, it's, it's being aware that there is a difference, that, that they don't have the same life experiences that you do and they can't because they were never exposed to it. I, I think one of the, and, and it, I, I shared this as a reference on it, but, and it, and it wasn't to demean millennials, but there was a, a YouTube video that was going out a few years ago and they showed, it was a, a teacher or a parent trying to, and they handed it to two young kids and the, and the guys, and they, they might have been in their late teens. 
um, a dial phone. Oh, yep. I saw a that A rotary video. dial phone. Yeah. And you might have seen it from me, but <laughs> I was sharing a lot. Uh, and they <laughs> couldn't figure out how you used it. And yeah. I always wondered, too, is, is like the emergency number was the furthest away. <laughs> you, you had to do the rotation. Uh, it, it, was, it should have been one. Yeah, but, you know, been. as a nine or a zero, you called the operator. And it's like, well, why would you call the operator? I mean, think, think about just the context of that, that yeah. we're, I'm looking at it, the involvement. I mean, I remember literally calling a switchboard. We grew up in a small coal mining town <laughs> in Pennsylvania. And I remember very early on picking up the phone. There was no dial. It was just a black phone with a, with a little disc on it, which are with our phone number. Uh, on it. And I would call, I pick up the phone and the person who answered was an operator. And oftentimes I'd say, can my parents owned a retail store? And I said, um, you know, I'm calling the store name. Um, and they'd say, Oh, your mother's not there. She's at the hairdressers. Would you like me to plug, (laughs) you would like me to get her? I mean, it was like a personal secretary, but that's, that was the perspective. And then I was like, oh, yeah, there's dial and then there's push button and what we don't need a cord. So think about a, a millennial. I mean, you, you, that's all foreign to you unless you saw it in your grandparents' house or, or somewhere. Uh, but now is what's a cord? Why do you need a cord to a phone? Yeah. You know, or you pick up a handset at, at, at you know, if I pick up my handset at my father, at, well, at my, at my mother's or father's mm-hmm. stepfather's or father-in-law's home, um, it has similarities to a, like a flip phone. Right. But I can't do anything with it. <laughs> I can't text anybody. I can't take a picture of it. Uh, I, I, I can't watch anything on it. I can't receive a text on it. Um. All it does is dial out. Um, and, and so w- when that's the only world you knew, if that's the world you grew up in, uh, that's your frame of reference. And now you, you know, as, as I keep mentioning, now you have these, you, you know, they talk, they talked, at least from my perspective as, a, as an older generation, you, the millennials, were the digital natives. In fact, Gen X was the digital natives. <laughs> I have a 1985 front cover of Newsweek, and you were the digital natives. You were there were three kids sitting on a on a sofa on a on a sofa in front of a TV with some you know some device, um, you know, a Nintendo or an Atari or something, and you were the digital natives. And then digital for the millennials became the internet. Now it's not now digital is is according to some people is is not even current is the current the newest generation are virtual are the boomers mm-hmm. you know it's a virtual generation because everybody's digital now or you know you're you're basically with zoom calls yeah you know anybody in the work world has, or even old you know it didn't matter what cross generations um, they've had everything from births to funerals on on a Zoom, and fa- all family was there. But we didn't change the experience much. All we did was 
was being able to connect with people remotely and be able to see them through a screen, but it still didn't feel real. It was nice. It's nice to see you on the screen. It's nice to relate to people on the screen, have a conversation with them that were just not on audio. But we still don't feel like we're in the same environment, the same physical space. But if you use virtual reality or augmented reality, all of a sudden your mind starts playing tricks on you that you forget that you're not at a distance, that you're not literally in the physical space together. You're, you're sharing a virtual space. That's what young, that's what the youngest generation and some older generations, I mean, I'm, you know, I have an Oculus, so I get it, but I'm the exception. Yeah. Most, I don't know that most people. Yeah. So, and again, so I, but that's the younger you go, the more common that is. I, I spoke to someone just the other day and of all places, you would think that I was, when she started to tell me the story, I would have thought that she was talking about this was in Silicon Valley. Uh, she is based on Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma. Their hmm. entire educational system is virtual. We're not talking remote. We're not talking on Zoom. We're talking it's done through headsets. Wow. It's done in a virtual environment. Those students are functioning like they are in a physical classroom together. That's how they're learning. They are learning science and math and history, literally remotely, but together. Uh, that will be a common occurrence. And the challenge right now is it's a little, little costly. The cost has come down on those, yeah. but they're clunky. I mean, yeah. you know, headsets are, are, are pretty clunky, um, but that's, that's changing pretty rapidly. And then as we go to 5G, it'll even be easier because some people didn't have the bandwidth and the access to that. Uh, so some of the problems we even have today are going to be changed. But when we think about, you know, as I said, oh, you're young, you're a millennial, you know, you're a digital native, you grew up with this. Well, if you're an older millennial, you didn't grow up with the, you, the Internet was brand yeah. new when you grew up. That's not something you were five years old and had. Um, yeah. And even people like with tablets and smartphones and tablets, they're only 13. We forget they're only 13 years old. I know. Isn't that crazy? so that that wasn't necessarily what you grew up with as a communication device. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, not to get too far into the past, when I was a kid back in the 80s. Like, you can't go as far back in the past <laughs> as I can. <laughs> there was so don't even a try. TV with three channels that we weren't really supposed to watch. Um, I, and we had a rotary telephone on the wall. I mean, my parents are, were kind of older for them, for their own generation. Um, you know, and then it was, by the time I was 13 or 14, AOL was like widespread, you know, and my, I my, left my parents in the dust and I got a computer and I started learning all this stuff. I remember I had my first cell phone when I was 18. I, they had been around for a little while by then, but I mean, it was like, why? You know, I've got regular phones. I see my pe people in, in real life. And it's just... To think of where we've come from then to now, I mean, it really is surreal. And, you know, it really, like, really connects you back to the idea that you were bringing up earlier of like your generation is really your digital literacy, right? It's, or your, your capabilities in a, in a virtual world. And I want to talk just a little bit about 
what that looks like from the perspective of an employer. Like people want, they want to be able to understand their workforce and it's hard to do that on an individual level, mostly just because there isn't time to get to know everybody all the time and, and how they're all doing. Is there value in evaluating your workforce based on their technical capabilities and thinking of those as sort of generation? Uh, yeah, I, I, I do believe so. I don't think it's the only criteria that I would have, um, but we you, you certainly, it, it, and again, it probably depends on the organization of, of what type of work is being sure. done, uh, but there, there's no question that everyone's going to need digital skills uh, at some point. Um, and someone who says, you know, I'm 50 years old, I've, I don't understand the email, I don't understand all this stuff, I don't know why I need a smartphone, um, you know, flip phone's fine, and they only turn it on when they want to make a call. <laughs> you can't even call them on it. Uh, the problem is, is they're getting left behind. Yeah. Because, and again, the pandemic certainly um, exposed that exposed every vulnerability in a system. Uh, and we, we have that now for, for instance, for vaccinations, the vaccination rollout, we won't get into the politics of sure. it, but the vaccination, you know, rollout has been challenging. Who is it especially challenging for? Um, twofold in rural areas, it's everybody. Yeah. doesn't matter if it's age, <laughs> but that's a technology thing. Uh, but in more urban areas, uh, they realize that, you know, we're, we're sending out um, notifications for the availability of vaccines by text, email, sign up for the app, you know, at your local healthcare system. Who's left out? Anybody who's not digitally savvy. Now, that doesn't mean they're not smart, doesn't mean they're not wealthy. It just means they could be the, the wealthiest people in your community, the most educated, the most successful people, but if they're not using, if they're not digitally literate, if they're not digitally savvy enough to even know how to use a, an app on a phone, they don't have access to something as critical as a vaccination. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so I, I think that's the problem where we, we have it became acceptable before because heck in 1980, I think I, I think it was 80 or 81. I got my first fax machine. Hmm. There's still people that have fax. The government still relies on fax machines. Yeah, they do. The healthcare system relies on fax machines. It, it drives me crazy. Me um, you know, I don't know when the last time I had a fax machine, but I still, fa I, I'm still capable of faxing, but I fax because I pick up my, my smartphone. <laughs> I scan the document. I, you know, I email it to myself and then I have a number from which I can fax. I mean, it's a, it's more complicated than it used to be, but I, I can still figure out how to accommodate an older generation or, or an older technology. But the reverse isn't true. If somebody only knows how to use a fax, then everything I just described is completely foreign to them. Uh, and we also yeah. are changing much quicker. The fax machine, as I said, is 40 years old. Um, yeah. I can't, I have an, I have an iPad that I just purchased six, seven years ago that I can't load any software onto it because it, it, it's the old, it's an older generation and they don't update it anymore. 
and they've only built some of the new software. So the time span, the ex- the ac- exponential growth, the time span of change is just shortening the long the life cycle of a product that used to last a generation or two, like electricity. <laughs> electricity came on. It took 75 years to become mainstream. Yeah. And yet we can have a new device. You know, there, 5G is not even rolled out yet. And they're already building out 6G. <laughs> I mean, it's within years. So things just move so incredibly fast that we're leaving more and more people behind. And going back to your question, long way around there, <laughs> is, yeah, I, I think that companies need to look at digital literacy as a primary skill and whether it's related to job skill or whether it's related to just helping individuals learn how to survive and just survive mm-hmm. in today's world um, is going to be critical. Otherwise, we're, we're, we're literally, I mean, that socioeconomic gap um, is, you know, especially if, if you're wealthy, you can hire people to do this for you right. or you have your grandkids figured out. Um, <laughs> If you're if you're not wealthy, if you're an average person, or especially somebody who might be lower income, you don't have a fighting chance. And there's a lot of people in that category, and there's a lot of people in the middle that are not digitally savvy, and they're going to quickly fall into the lower. They're going to fall into the lower economic, lower socioeconomic, lower poverty, lower even poverty. Yeah. Um, areas because they're, they're not going to be able to do daily functions. It's, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, this last year really put that to the test, you know, as you mentioned, and it's, it's worth, worth mentioning again, it used to be that if you worked in a, in like in an office and you were a Luddite, there were ways around it. You could go talk to the person that you need to talk to. You could get on the call, the phone if you need to get on the phone. You could sit back in the meetings and just sort of let all the digital nonsense wash over you. And in the end, you still have your job. All those people got sent home, at least for those organizations that were able to do so. You have to wonder how many people got fired because of a lack of productivity because they didn't have the digital capabilities when they were home. And I don't know if you watched The Office um, do you remember? Do you have you watched The Office? Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I wasn't I, I wasn't an avid fan, but I've seen quite a few. There's a <laughs> many, many many episodes. There's an episode where you know, it's the like the youngest person in the company becomes the CEO um, in a very unlikely way, Ryan, and he wants to bring the paper company up to the modern era. So everything's about looking young, looking sleek, fast, and somebody slips Michael Scott a note and just explains to him what ageism is, which he of course knew nothing about, you know, and he just, it becomes this whole, you know, this chaotic mess. But the whole idea was he was, he was getting discriminated against almost accidentally because he wasn't this new type of person. And it's obviously, it's a little extreme in that example, but you got to figure people that are getting pushed out of their jobs because they got sent home and they can't use their equipment have ageism suits available to them because you could you could make the argument you didn't provide me with the training you didn't provide me with the necessary information to keep me current you're firing me because i'm old you know 
I'm curious to see what if those lawsuits are happening out there um, and what they look like. It's just, yeah, that's something that, that interests me. Yeah, well, there, there's certainly been a, a ton, I haven't seen anything specific to that, um, but I, I, I frankly haven't been laser focused on that either. <laughs> right. uh, but there certainly have been a lot of conversations over the last year. Uh, I know I've got a colleague that uh, he's getting his PhD in ageism, <laughs> I think, or not in ageism, but that's his, his thesis and that's is his mantra. Uh, you know, some of it's legit. Are there companies that just look at you and you're, you know, you're going to use our healthcare, you're going to use our health insurance more, you're going to raise our premiums and therefore we don't want you. Yeah, there probably is. Uh, but I, I, I also think that some of it has to do with, um, bad assumptions like we were talking about that oh we need people that are digitally savvy so we're we're gonna only we're gonna look for 30 and under or is it that they are more digitally savvy they are more prepared for the world they have the skills that we need today and you know you've been you're you're a good person you've been a loyal employee we really like you um but frankly you can't hang around here for 10 more years Mm. with the skills that you are bringing into the office every day and now there is no office so you have to you have to work from home and we'll do you know we offer what we can to help you but we you know we're not going to send our it department out every day to 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 figure out how to add a new software program yeah i used to i used to teach computer to people that didn't have computer skills and it was very difficult you know it's Things that are f- shockingly easy to be were so frustrating and difficult. And it just really elucidated for me that it just can be a wall that comes up and there's no way, there's really no way over it other than like a lot of really dedicated work. And organizations rarely have, rarely have what they need to, to roll that out or, or are willing to put in that much training and effort when they can just. And, and again, this isn't necessarily related to age, although I'm going to bring my mother into it again. Again, is 97. Pretty, very, very functional. She lives independently. She lives alone. But during the pandemic, obviously we, have, we haven't been able to see her. She lives a thousand miles away. Um, now she had, there are some cousins and, and other family, and they've been very supportive. But simple things like, we should have, why don't we help you with online banking? You know, you don't have, she's having trouble seeing um, can't write a check, uh, could, you know, that she spends hours calling somebody, a call center in a bank to find out if the check was processed. If we had access to, and it was, I don't want my, I don't want anything online. I, all I hear is bad things about it. Well, the reality is, is, well, you're already online. You, you get your social security checks automatically. Your Medicare is deducted automatically. Uh, you have an online account. You just don't have access to it. Right. Because just that doesn't mean and you can't go to the bank and say, listen, take all my records off the Internet (laughs) Um, because that's, you know, that's impossible. That's the world we live in. All the records are online. So there's there's a learning curve of what people say. Well, we don't want to we don't want our information online. Well, your information's online already. And in order to 
be productive and efficient and even be more safe and secure, you have to learn how to access those accounts so you can protect yourself. Because just because you don't have an email doesn't mean that somebody else hasn't created an email for you and they don't have access to all your other accounts. Um, So it's crazy. I mean, we we just, and, and, and because that was okay for a while, right? We got away with that for the last 10 and 20 years, but in the 2020s in this decade, I don't know anybody can survive without some basic digital skills. And that's cross, going back to our original talk, that is cross-generational. Yeah. There are young people that don't have digital skills and there are old people that don't have digital skills. And very you know, true. The, the subtitle for my, my book, Kicks, Skeezes, and Googleization, which is ironic, is it was the original title was The Wired, The Tired, and Technology. <laughs> and that's probably more true today than ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I have always found that interesting, the assumption that the younger generations automatically know how computers work and things like that. Um, you use it, but it doesn't. <laughs> is that so many things have been automated in such a way. Like when I was younger and I was messing around with computer games, if something didn't work, I had to figure it out. Maybe I had to make a file or edit something or move stuff around or now everything just sort of works. It works right away. You don't have to know that that's code. You don't have to know anything to, to use the technology. They've really made it easy. I think you're going to find that that make far from making people automatically understanding how to use, use the latest technologies. Mm-hmm. It's quite the opposite. It's yeah. like they may know they're there and they may know how to, how to interact with them, but they don't necessarily know how it works. You can't just call up your grandkid and expect him to be able to fix your phone. By that same token, my, my my mother, who again in her nineties has been driving, well, she's not driving anymore as of about two three years ago, but you know she drove for like seventy maybe eighty years. Um, she knew nothing about how a car worked. Yeah, but if you if you said, oh wow, you're ninety years old and you've you've driven a car for seventy years, um, can you fix it? <laughs> <laughs> You know, she knew the last thing about it, and and that's sort of what's happening now. I mean, they're you know certainly younger, especially Generation Z and younger younger millennials have only grown up in, in an era at a time when computers were readily readily available or devices, technology yeah. was readily available. But the reality is, it doesn't mean they know how to fix it, right. program it. Um, they know how to use it as a as an appliance. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they but they, were, they weren't necessarily savvy enough to fix it. It's like the toaster. You know, you can toast day in and day out, but if it broke, you weren't necessarily going to know how to use it or to fix it. Um, I think we're about out of time, so I'll just leave with one more question, which is, um, what what advice would you have for HR people that are trying to prevent maybe some of their workforce from leaving just because they might not have the technical savvy to experience a remote, a remote world. Uh, challenging question. Um, I, 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 on one hand, it's, it's not, I think it's very simple. I think it's just to be aware, just, just understand that there, you know, it's not cross-generational. Uh, just don't assume that anybody over 50 years old is, you know, can't be taught, isn't interested um, or, or isn't already savvy. 
and don't assume that everybody, you know, under the age of 30 is your uh, holy grail for digital, you know, <laughs> digital digitification, I guess, of, uh, of, 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 of your workforce. So one is, is just being aware. Uh, you know, the other part is that everybody need, you know, it, it just needs to go into the upskilling part. Uh, I talk a ton about adaptability and changing, and and in situations like this, this isn't a, this isn't about grit and resilience. But going back to what we talked about earlier about unlearning, you know, the ability to unlearn the way that things were done, and then you know replace it with skills. It's not just putting old skills on top of new skills, but changing the way that things got done, uh, and uh, you know, being uh, again being a little more empathetic to different people that don't have it, uh, but also creating a good mentoring system to help people guide along people yeah great great answer thanks so much for for joining me today always fun talking to you jim appreciate it very me much me too listeners we're always interested in suggestions you might have for what hr works should cover next please feel free to reach out to us on twitter at hr works podcast if you have any suggestions or if you just want to say hello or tell us we're doing really well we'd love to hear your feedback thank you so much i'm jim davis with hr works